At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling. Lauren, Hope, Cleveland, thank you so much for being on Operation Tango Romeo. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. The wonderful world of Facebook. That's what brought us together. It's lovely. Yes. And um, first, the first responder world, right? Like I just find there's so many people here that are like, oh, meet this person. Oh, talk to this person. Know this person, right? Like we're lucky. When I started Tango Romeo, I was like, oh, I'll never, I'm going to run out of things to talk about and people to talk to. Nope, not a problem. There are so many things going on in this space. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how long were you in jail? Ooh, uh, I did eight years. Um, started when I was 22. That's, some hard, that's for- some hard time. Yep. It's <laughs> a hard time. Uh, I couldn't do 25. That is for sure. Um, I ended up leaving after, after I had my second child, but there was a bunch of things happening at the time. My husband had got a job in camera. So I was commuting an hour and a half to work and an hour and a half home from work most days. And some of those shifts were 16 hour shifts. So, I mean, I would be gone for 19 hours <laughs> at a time, just trying to make it juggle, um, three-year-old um and I was doing it while I was pregnant with my second child like it was just chaotic and um after my second child I just thought there's no way I can go back especially my husband's a police officer so two shift working parents two babies a three-hour commute why corrections for you Ooh, uh let me just say I did not know that this was a career (laughs) growing (laughs) up this was not like what I aspired to do with my life um, didn't you anyway, watch Shawshank Redemption? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, I know. But I didn't think, oh, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I did watch Shawshank. I still love Shawshank. I'll always pick that movie over everything else. <laughs> it's um, one of the greatest movies of all time. It is one of the greatest movies. I actually just watched the other one uh, the other day, Green Mile. I haven't watched that for years. Good movie. Oh, um, I learned about psychology in grade 10. So I went to school in Calgary, grew up in Calgary. Went to high school, and when I was in grade 10, they had brought in a psychology program. It was the first year they had done it. The teacher was incredible, and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, I love everything about this class. Like, I I would even sometimes say to her, can I come back to the one that you teach tomorrow just so I can, like, I want to learn it all again. <laughs> she was like, no. <laughs> you only have to come here twice a week. You have to come every day. And I was like, oh, but I, I feel like I could use more. So I uh, decided to take psychology in university. I went to Lethbridge and um, let's just say uh, schooling wasn't my, my gig. I hated sitting in a class. I hated, you know, spitting out crap onto an exam. It's just (laughs) not how I learn. I'm a, I'm a very tactical learner. I'm more of like, show me how to do it and I'll be able to do it from now on. But if I have to read it and write a paper about it, I just want to get that over and done with. And I don't retain a lot of the information. You are a kinesthetic so, tactile. Exactly. Exactly. I know exactly how I learned. So two years in, I was failing, like 
significantly failing. My parents were like, you're coming home. We're getting you out of there. What are we paying for? And like, I was partying too. It wasn't just my grades sucked because I sucked at school. It's like, I cared more about, you know, building relationships and making friends and partying. So, um, a female Van Wilder. Yeah, kind of a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But had fun. And I always like, I'm like, Oh, okay, well, I did. I didn't get a degree. But I left with like the the skills to um, build relationships and, and like strong relationships, interpersonal skills, stuff like that. Um, I had jobs while I was there. So it was great. But I, the third year, I'm just like, I'm not gonna sit through any of these. Most of them were like, bio stuff they hadn't it hadn't really um evolved so like the first the first level second level you had all these options and then the third level it was like well what's your specialty and I'm like I don't want to do any of these things I want to do like forensics and like stuff like that so um I met this guy at the bar from through a friend who told me his sister was the psychologist at Lethbridge Correctional Center. It wasn't one of those CD bars. It was one of those no. good bars where you find the good no. people. <laughs> well, it was a friend of a friend who we just happened to be like standing around talking and he said something about his sister. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Because before this, um, I had asked the university if I could do like an applied program. And they said, yeah, if you can find a psychologist to do it with, sure, we'll let you like follow them around for the semester and then you can write a paper about it and that will be your whole mark. Great. But like back then there's no internet other than like email at school. So I'm going home, opening up the yellow pages and calling every psychologist on the phone. And they're like, no, thanks. We're good. (laughs) Yellow pages. What are you like a hundred? Right. (laughs) Right. I remember (laughs) sitting on the floor in my living room with my portable phone like calling every single person so when this guy had told me his sister was at Lethbridge I was like okay can you get me an in like how do I get a hold of her and he's like oh yeah I'll tell her to give you a call so she did and I worked with her for two years um she basically hired me to be her like assistant like I wasn't paid but um she did marriage counseling she did sexual deviant counseling and she did the counseling at Lethbridge Correctional Center So I got to do like wicked fun stuff, like very cool, very like I would be interviewing people for like their DSM-4 tests, like what, you know, what, what disorder do you have? Um, They like would take me around and I would, it was awesome. It was so cool. Like, and then she taught a course at the college called Women in Corrections. And um, we did a project with the kids when uh, kids like they were the same age as me. Uh, with the with the other students the one day and it was you had to find a federally sentenced woman in Canada and do a report on them so she says to me I found she's like I found someone and they're going to let us interview her up in Edmonton at the women's prison and um her her name I can say her name her name is Yvonne Johnson and she wrote a book called The Stolen Life so we went up to Edmonton and um, interviewed her she um brutally uh, tortured and killed the man who sexually molested her daughter. It's a really good book, actually, if you're interested in yeah, anything I'm, like that. That's not a criminal. That's a hero. I like her. Yeah, right? Uh, so we got to go interview her. And while we were at the institution, people were saying like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a job here. The psychologist that we met was like, oh, there's a job for primary workers. 
sweet. Like I'm thinking, because I've been doing casework at the women's prison uh, or not at Lethbridge Corrections. So if you're at a, like if you're at a like local facility, you're um, provincially sentenced. So if you're provincially sentenced, it's co-ed. If you're federally sentenced, it's not co-ed. So federal is two years plus a day and provincial is anything under two years. So like people like remand, Calgary, Spy Hill, like all of that. That's it's an all interesting provincial. line, the two-year thing. Uh, Army prison's the same. It's two years less a day. Anyth- yeah, two years less a day, yeah. Anything more and you go into the civilian prison, which I think ah. most, most would prefer. <laughs> yeah, and everybody wants federal time because you get better programs, you get work release, you get way more opportunities. And in Lethbridge, we started the first women's programming, which... I remember Alicia and I going to Walmart and buying the paper and the, the, the pencils and everything because last we had no money to offer programs to women. So we started like a parenting program in the women's prison. In, and that was like 2003. They had nothing up until that point. Alicia was the first person to do something like that. So yeah, so they had like, why don't you apply for this primary worker position? And this is so stupid because like, but back then, we had no internet. Like, you couldn't look up job description. You couldn't, like, do any of these sorts of things. So they give me this paperwork and basically be like, do you want to help women? Do you love, um, you know, uh, watching people set goals and achieve goals? And, and I'm like, yes. Oh, my gosh. So I'm thinking, like, I'm applying to be, like, someone in an office where I do correctional plans and I'm going to support these women and I'm going to, I'm going to help them. I'm going to get them out of jail. And this is going to be the best thing ever. So I apply and I get the job and I'm like, Oh, I was pumped. And everyone's like federal government job. This is wicked Lauren. It's so exciting. And I'm like, right. (laughs) And then I show up to training. So they call me and say, you're going to training. Got to go to Saskatoon for three months. Wicked. I move. I literally get to the training and sit there the first day and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I think I signed up to be a prison guard. (laughs) I'm I'm dumbfounded. I literally am like, am I an idiot? And I don't say anything to anybody because I'm like, Holy crap. No, there's no way. And so I call my boyfriend and he's like, okay, Lauren, like, Let's think about this for a second. You're five foot two. You're maybe 115 pounds. There's no way they hired you to be a, a women's prison guard. I'm like, fair. That's a fair statement. My mom was like, I'm coming to get you right now. <laughs> and no, they for sure hired me to be a prison guard. I had no idea. I really was like, there was a few things in that thing looking back going, okay, so there was a few mentions of security, but not like, Hey, by the way, you're going to be a CX. So when you did unarmed combat training, you're probably like, what? Or arrest and control (laughs) training would be. Yeah. I actually really loved that. That was probably my favorite (laughs) part of all of it. Did you get to wear Uh, the red man suit? No, I didn't get to wear the red man suit. No, I didn't get to. And I, I barely remember those two weeks that we did trade like um, arrest and control and self-defense and all of that stuff. But it was like, it was the same thing all the time. And I was like, this is so boring. I did love it to begin with, but then it got repetitive. And now I know it was like that muscle memory. They're trying to train you so much that when it actually happens, 
you don't even have to think about it. Yeah, it's uh, oh. it's, it's not academic. It's uh, well, you you are kinesthetic tactile, so you know it, it has to be reflex. It has to be conditioned mm-hmm. into you, so that when it happens, you just react. You just do it. Yeah, you pepper spray, it squirt, squirt, properly, <laughs> so no one gets in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me, so. tell me about um, being an owner and founder at Break Complacency. What's that all about? Mm. Okay, so after I left Corrections, um, I decided to start a retail business in Camrose. So um, my buddy from um, Edmonton Institution for Women, they had bought One Tooth Activewear in, you might know about this if you're from this Edmonton area. It was an activewear store, made in Canada activewear store. So I, um, I started doing that in Camrose. And after a couple of years, I was like, this is boring. I don't love this. <laughs> First of all, I don't love um, having employees. That was probably like, I love to lead, but I mean, it's very hard to lead people that are looking for minimum wage jobs. <laughs> that, I found that uh, like quite a bit of a struggle. So, um, and then I attended a workshop that was, that I thought was going to help me um, increase my sales, increase my business, um, do all these things for me. And I walked out of that workshop with a goal to spend more time with my husband. And I was like, what just happened over this weekend? So I, um, I started talking to the girl who owned that. It's called Transformation Weekend. And she started saying like, you know, why don't you come train with me for a year? I can train you to teach this. I can train you to do this. And we started talking and she's like, why aren't you coaching people? I'm like, coaching people to do what? <laughs> and she's like, no, honestly, she's like, you have so many skills. Like I have um, DBT training. I have CBT training. Like I have all these things that the jail gave me that I was just kind of sitting in these trainings in Saskatoon for weeks or months or whatever on end going, okay, I just got to learn this and get out of here. But it was things I was doing with inmates that basically you do with people that aren't inmates, right? Like DBT, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that. And she's like, you have the skills to be a life coach. So I started like just putting it out there while I still ran my retail business. Cause I knew at some point that would, that was going to be gone. I didn't really love it. It was, I was, I was struggling, um, at this point with some of the things that I had experienced as a corrections officer, I kind of stopped distracting from uh, life and paying attention. And I was going through some pretty dark times. Um, and I, I needed to move into something that was more me, something less retail, more Lauren. And, um, I kind of started coaching myself through my PTSD. I'm not diagnosed PTSD. My doctor says, you know, he wished he would have paid more attention to me when I went through everything. But when we talk about like nightmares and moodiness and migraines and, um, you know, sleep deprivation, he says, yeah, I wish we would have explored it more back then. So I'm not diagnosed PTSD, but based on what I know, based on the people I know, based on the research I've done, I'm positive. That's what I have. Well, it makes sense. Um, Uh, Out of all the uniform services, corrections officers are at the top of the list for suicide and depression. Absolutely. And, And their life expectancy is 58. The average life expectancy for a corrections officer is 58. That means I'm almost dead. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I was shocked when I read, when I started paying attention and reading to these things. And I remember, I remember a day at the front desk, the girls were talking about what they were going to do when they retired. And I thought, oh, I don't want to just wait till I retire. 
I want to do things now. But I was, I was really, I had been, um, I'd been drinking heavily. I'd been taking medication, um, because the drinking stopped working. Um, I was so sleep deprived that my husband came home one day, he'd been on the rigs for almost a week. And he was like, what is happening here? And he was very, he was actually very shocked when I started like relaying to him what was going on. And I think I cried for 24 hours when he finally picked me up and took me to the doctor and said like, we got to do something. So they put me on medication for sleeping, first of all, which it helped. Um, but I also drank with it. So I mean, I was like, this isn't going to work. So I might as well have a couple drinks with it to make sure it absolutely works. Yeah. Um, so I, I went through quite a bit of that. And then even after I had my kids, I still was like drinking at night to just not deal with the thoughts, to not deal with the emotions, to not deal with, you know, like a mom of two and running a business that isn't going well. And my husband works a lot of shifts and, you know, just whatever. So I started diving into the life coaching stuff and I started basically just coaching myself. And then I started getting clients and it went like full force after that. Um, I'm part of a pretty big group of people, so I don't have to really look for clients, but I'm really shifting my focus to focus mainly on first responder spouses because I know that they are struggling um, just as much as their first responders are, right? It's a, it's a tough place to be. It's a tough job to have, especially if you have kids and jobs and pandemics and, you know, like holiday seasons coming up. It's, it's not an easy, not an easy career as, as a first responder spouse. Cause I call it a career cause it definitely is an extra job. Oh. And that's a perfect segue. Uh, the thing that really caught my eye, other than your podcast that we'll talk about in a bit here, is um, to serve and connect Society of Canada for first responders and spouses. I purposely have that as part of my um, tagline, Operation Tango Romeo, for veterans, first responders, and their families. Because mm-hmm. the families get left out of the conversation so much. Mm-hmm. And and they can suffer as much as the person who has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me, like for me, it's like people don't understand what they're getting into. No. Oh, my husband's a, like I was talking to the girls. Uh, I was on the phone. I was telling you with those two ladies the other day, and we were talking about like a lot of the police wives or police or spouses go on and they're talking about their wedding or they're like, show me where your police boudoir photos. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is not what we need to be talking about. We need to be educating each other on so many other things because, and I'll go on and like post something and no, I get nothing. So I'm obviously in the wrong groups, but I do have um, to serve and connect for first responders and spouses was actually brought up, pawn by me wanting to do a retreat for first responder spouses. That was where all of this stemmed from. Um, I had numerous conversations with um, Calgary police, Calgary fire, Edmonton police, um, you know, cameras, just like, Oh, we don't do anything for the spouses. Like nothing. If, if their partner is going to, um, to therapy, then they might get successions, right? Like they might get successions depending on, if the police service thinks that it's warranted or EAP, right? And that's all the police services there 
way behind. Um, a lot of veterans bitch and complain about Veterans Affairs, but it's pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an 800 line, and my wife can call and have at least 20 sessions right off the bat for free. It's just it's just a done deal. And uh, with a, a little note from my therapist at back, um, it's unlimited for couples and for her and for my kids and for my ex-wife yeah. if she ever wants it, you know. And, uh, and that's how it should be because that's the mm-hmm. collateral damage that, uh, that happens. So true. And I, I watched my husband um, go through a significant amount of um, pain when I went through my shit, right? Like just so much of, he had no idea what to do. It, like his answer was like, do you want to go to the mall? I'll buy you something. Like he had no idea what was happening to me and no idea that, and I wasn't talking about it only because I had no idea what was happening to me. Well, right. It was like, I it. was like, I don't know what you're talking about. My supervisor is the one who told me to take Benadryl with vodka and I would fall asleep quicker. <laughs> I was like, and you're ingrained in this culture where people are doing this. So you think it's totally normal. So you don't know why it's happening or how it's happening. I was, um, I talk about it on my, uh, on my podcast, but I, I, I know that a lot of my, um, adverse reactions come from being helpless. So when I go back and write that story of, you know, where did I think this started? I was, um, in a control post when, um, before we had uniforms. So women's corrections didn't get uniforms till 2008. So we wore our street clothes, like our gap, our gap pants, our little chuck, uh, little chuck shoes and a t-shirt, maybe a hoodie that zipped up and, um, a bulletproof hoodie, right? A bulletproof hoodie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is so funny. We look back on it now and I remember wearing flip flops and it's like, who's going to, what's going to happen when shit hits the fan in your flip flops or like what? And I, then I think we were only allowed to wear flip flops to like the end of August. And then we had to wear running shoes or winter boots or whatever. Right. Like crazy. It's crazy. Anyways, there was a fight in the courtyard. I was in the control post, so I ran the entire institution. Um, I could see on our, like, very awful camera, which was, like, super grainy, so I'm, like, zooming in. I could see something was about to happen, and I radioed officers to attend the courtyard. Um, And all I could see was blood. I didn't know who was being sliced up, if it was an inmate, if it was a staff member, because inmates wear their clothes. We wear our clothes. I couldn't see what was going on. So I think that was, like, the start of, like, feeling very helpless in a lot of situations. Um, And then like some situations I was at home for and feeling guilty that I wasn't there to help, like just things like that. So I carried a lot of that for a lot of years and just stuffed it down. Didn't want to be weak. Didn't want to say anything to the people I worked with. Cause like, God forbid they don't, they're not going to want to work with me because you know, I'm, but I mean, why would you work with me? I am hung over every single day. Like, <laughs> honestly, I'm not helping anybody here. So yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough thing to go through. So that's kind of what led me to that coaching thing. Cause I really sat down with myself and was like, okay, but how do we, how do we stop drinking? Like I did stop drinking when I was pregnant with both my kids. So I knew I could do it. Um, I had a good track record. I was like, okay, how do I do this? And, um, I started, you know, getting up earlier and 
practicing gratitude, like all these things that I had learned. Um, and I started feeling fabulous within probably a month. It's amazing and when you're not poisoning yourself every day. Right. It is amazing. It is amazing. And I do, I do occasionally drink at this point, but I pay attention. Am I drinking to numb? Am I drinking, you know, socially with some friends? Is this whatever? But I pay attention to why am I drinking? And you have to. And the why is probably the biggest reason. I went, uh, I've been dry since April 16th. Not not a drop. And I wasn't uh, um, an alcoholic quite yet, but frick, I was on my way. I was on my way. I was up to about five beers a night. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did that happen? It was uh, I was at two like a month ago. Yeah. And now now I'm up to five beers, and the Rona doesn't help. And um, right. But uh, and there's if you're drinking to compensate, if you're drinking mm-hmm. to soothe, it's dangerous. So yeah, there's never been a harder time for me to not drink during the Rona. And just the other night, oh my god, I wanted me a whiskey. So bad, but which is exactly why I didn't. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just started paying attention. And, and that was the thing. I was never present. I feel like you're trained as uh, an officer or whatever to be like always forward thinking. Mm-hmm. What's coming? What if? This and this. So I, I was never present. Like I don't remember like being present with my kids, I'm always forward thinking and I have to constantly come back. I have to like started meditating, started doing things like that to ease my brain. I ended up with cancer, um, in 2017, I had thyroid cancer, uh, had to have radiation and that messed with my mind even more than anything else. Um, but I, I was, I was very forgetful before, but thyroid cancer doesn't help that situation either. So um, I'm, I'm very forgetful, but I'm also like training my mind to, to pay attention so that I'm not forgetful. So that it, that's a struggle in itself uh, with trauma uh, background. Very, very then, common. Very, very common. Yeah, very common. And, and you'll hear Sharon and I on our podcast go like, oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> She'll mention, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you were there. And I'm like, I'll say something. She's like, I'm like, no, buddy, I don't remember that. But when you're so forward thinking, you, you don't remember those things because you're not in those moments, right? And yeah. with my family, I was missing out on so many things. And it even vacations, my husband will say, do you remember when we, and I'm like, nope. He's like, why did we go there then and spend all that money? Or, I still do it. Or though, your spouse saying, I'm, are you listening to me right now? Uh, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I wasn't. I'm sorry. I, no, I'm sorry. I know. So it's a, it's a big thing to, to pay attention to. And it's a, it's a full-time job really actually to be present for me. Yeah. For me. And I hear that so often for, with so many spouses, they're like, he doesn't listen. He doesn't. And I try to explain like, here's why I'll tell you my experience. Cause I do have that experience. Even my husband too. He's not great, but I'm, I know if he gets off night shift, I can't have anything planned. I can't have people at my house. That's like that. I really give him that space to decompress so that he can be present the next three days. Right. Like, yeah. but as it's different when you're a mom, like you don't get time to decompress. you got, lunches and this and babies waking up in the night it's yeah doesn't stop yeah oh 
Doesn't yeah, start. so I started leaning into the coaching thing and learning. I took um, strategic intervention coaching through Tony Robbins, which was fabulous. Loved it. Um, yeah. And I coach mostly first responder spouses. I so is that what fun. the Servant Connect Society is? Is that coaching? It's not. Well, the Servant Connect Society uh, actually came about. Um, it was just a retreat. For this year, 2020, I just wanted to put on a retreat, offer connection, community, resources for first responder spouses in a space where it was just first responder spouses. And I know when we get together with other women whose husbands are first responders, we feel like we can open up and talk about it. Um, We never say our husband's name, God forbid, because that your husband would be pissed right off. (laughs) But I mean, we, we share stories because we have similar experiences and backgrounds. And, um, so I put that together for May, 2020. And then I started talking to a friend of mine. Um, and he's like, why don't you make that a nonprofit? Like that's something that people don't need to pay to go to. Like that's, that should be run by the government. And I'm like, Oh, for crying out loud, Paul, I don't have time to run a nonprofit. But I started the process and I got approved. And yeah, so that will be run as a nonprofit. That will just be um, likely monthly training uh, for first responder spouses. So it'll you'll show up like a Zoom call um, and we'll have a topic. We we have a little group right now. It's a first resp- it's a first responder spouses to serve and connect Facebook group where I, we go in once a month, we talk about like last month we did relationships this month. I'm saying like, what's your experience with addictions? What's your experience around the holidays? And people are sharing their stories and their experiences in that group. Um, but I'm hoping to get some money to run the retreat so that people don't have to pay and hoping to get some money to run these, um, programs that I'm running for free on my own time right now to pay myself a little bit of money too. So that's where that comes in. Roger that. Yeah. Your podcast from uniforms to unicorns. Tell me about unicorns. Let's talk about the name before we get into the meat of the podcast. Okay. So if you look up what a unicorn is uh, and what it means, the first thing that comes up is someone who has sex with couples. (laughs) We were like, Oh my God, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't name it this. But when you really did. <laughs> I did not know that. Thank you for the education. Lauren Hope Cleveland. Welcome. We were like, um, uh, so anyways, the, the things, <laughs> it's like someone SEO'd that website really well. Um, cause the things that show up after that are basically like, um, sorry, my dog is barking in the background. Can That's you hear right. me? I can. Oh, Sorry. Well, it's probably dropping probably off. Probably barking at a unicorn. <laughs> probably barking at a unicorn. So it was just like uh, the next couple of things that came up were like, um, I should look it up because I'm, tr- I'm drawing a blank right now. But it was something like um, a desired outcome that lots of people don't, don't get to. That was kind of the premise behind it. It was like something, I'm going to look it up while I'm talking to you because it's going to drive me nuts <laughs> if I don't. <laughs> uh it'll be quick it'll be super quick uh meaning of unicorn i'm like drawing a blank right now unicorn and sharon and i still haven't even mentioned this on the podcast um something that is highly desired but difficult to obtain 
Highly desired but difficult to obtain. So what is it that's highly desired and you and difficult to obtain for you that uh, for us was it was that? leaving yeah, it was leaving corrections. Everybody talks about leaving. Everybody gets to that point where they're just like, Oh, I hate it here. Oh, oh well in I only have fourteen more years. <laughs> right? They get that pension package and they look and they see the money and they're like, and I, I remember seeing it going, oh my God, I won't make it. Like I won't make it another 17 years. As like the package comes every year, you get it in your folder. And I, I remember opening it up and saying like, you have 17 more years. And I'm like, I'll be dead. I won't make it. My family won't make it. We, we won't, we won't make it. So mm. for us, it was like, it's highly desirable, but lots of people don't do it because of the pension, because of the amount of money you make. It's like, I remember being 22 and making like good money. And I mean, with the overtime, we, I, I want to say like some of my paychecks in 2004 were like $7,000 Yeah, because I worked so much overtime um, and, and not by choice. Lots of that was because I was ordered to work because it was such a, there was Bad no, time. there was no overtime in the army. If there was, we would have got paid well. Right. Oh no. Corrections is full of overtime. Like even I heard they were like paying people to stay in hotels and like incidentals and suppers. So like you were making $500 a day, just if you could stay at a friend's house and eat groceries. <laughs> Right. But they were like paying this travel and your overtime on top of that. Like corrections is flooded with overtime flooded. Well, that's all right. Mm -hmm. If you, if you want to work that much and you need the money, then sure. But yeah, it, we both, a lot of our friends are still there or they've gone to like parole or programs or stuff like that. It's not an easy thing to say, see ya, (laughs) I'm retiring eight years after I started. Right. So that's why um, we named it the unicorns out of the unicorns thing in the end. So, mm-hmm. Why do you decide to do the podcast? Oh, if, um, if you had asked me, well, Carl McPhee, uh, he has a podcast. He asked me on his podcast, when are you starting your podcast? And I was like, <laughs> I'm not, I prefer to just be interviewed. Um, and then Sharon Fernandez, my friend who I do the podcast with, um, approached me about writing a blog about our experiences in the prison both of us have been out now for about she's been six years I've been eight years yeah so we're in different spots like we you know we're a little less jaded we're a little less you know you have some perspective now yeah we've we've both gone through some significant healing um and we talk about it all the time like we're constantly texting and and having phone conversations about like, Oh, I just went through this or, Oh, this just happened to me. And it reminded me of this or so she said, let's write a blog. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not a very good writer. (laughs) And then I said, why don't we do a YouTube channel? And she's like, "Mm, I don't really want to wear a bra. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to do my makeup. I'm like, good call. Good call. That's why we're friends. So then I said, well, why, why don't we do a podcast? Which I, as I'm saying it, I'm like, why am I saying this? I am so busy. Um, I don't know why I'm including this into my life, but it has been like so fun. I mean, our faces hurt when we're done talking. Our stomachs are like, <laughs> I have abs just from laughing at the shit that we did or the shit that we say. And it's like, 
oh, this is good. It's, and we know that like sharing our stories, um, is healing for us. Um, and it's also healing for the people, like the people that we've worked with have been so supportive and so like, Oh my gosh, that was so funny. I remember when that happened or, you know, some of our friends are like, how come you haven't said my name yet? And we're like, Okay. We have to remember to say so-and-so's name next podcast because it's just so, it's just, people are so supportive and they're, they're really looking at us to be like, oh, okay, they, they were able to change whether you're in or whether you're out. It's yeah, it's a mind shift. It's choosing to either stay with this mind shift or leave with this mind shift, right? And and go through the process. It's not easy. It is tough. We have both been through a lot of crap in the last couple of years, but it's been worth it. Have you um, heard of the uh, podcast in the states, Combat Divas? No, I think you'd like it. Okay, it's I'll write fun. it down. It's, states they, Combat Divas. Yeah, they won uh, like top 10 military podcasts or something like that. Okay. At a pair of ladies that uh, kind of similar to from uniforms to unicorns. Cool. Um, they got their own flavor. It's, okay. It, it, I, it, I quite enjoyed it. I tried listening to some of the others that are on the top 10 list and some I thought were trash, <laughs> but, okay. uh, but combat divas, I thought was pretty good. Cool. Okay. That's awesome. We actually, one of our first names had diva in it. I don't remember what it was though. <laughs> our, our name took us a long time to come up with. We were recording episodes and not even knowing what our name was, but oh well. Well, ready, fire, aim. That that works. Yeah, yeah it did. Well, I'm glad you are doing From Uniforms to Unicorns. Uh, when you share your story out loud, there's a term I call recover out loud. And mm-hmm. sharing your story does help you heal, but it helps others who are listening, especially if it's a, a funner, lighter one like your, like what, what you do, which is yeah. awesome. But there's still the other stuff that's in there. And mm-hmm. when people can hear and relate to their story through your story, that lets them know that they're not alone. They're not the only yes. one. And it helps raise their self-awareness. Um, mm-hmm. And for those that haven't reached out for help yet, the more they hear other people that have been down the road and have reached out for help, it empowers them to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And I get mail all the time. And as your podcast grows, you're going to get mail all the time. And mm-hmm. people saying things like, because of you, because what I heard, because of episode number, whatever, I reached out for help and I'm in therapy now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It, We've had a couple actually already say like, awesome. oh, I heard you talk about this and I've reached out to this person or, oh, um, yeah, it's just, it's really cool to hear um, when we're, when we're like having fun and, and talk, not, and not like having it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but some of the stuff is heavy, uh, but we try to make it less heavy uh, through, you know, laughter or whatever. But I, I was very open on, and my mom did not know some of the things that I said. Yeah. Uh, like she'd always be like, Oh, uh, what was that podcast you did today? I'm like, Oh mom, don't worry about it. You don't want to listen to it anyways. Right. And now, <laughs> now she's like, now that she heard mine, she's like, I had no idea you went through any of that stuff. She does remember when I, um, I had to go to the hospital at one point and I had gone and actually stayed with my parents because my husband had to go to work and I, I was really bad then. Um, She's like, I do remember that. And I remember like the things that came out of your mouth. I was like, hmm, 
I don't think she's doing okay. <laughs> I don't think this is just sleep deprivation. I think this is more than that. But I was, I'm very stubborn. And like you and I were talking about before, not really a rule follower. Um, yeah, I was just like, just leave me alone and let me get through this myself. And every time I thought I got through it, I would drive into that institution and be like, oh, shit, never mind. Nope. The, the migraines came back. The tension came back. I could feel my jaw. Like, I'd walk into the office and, like, the negativity would just start spewing out of my mouth after, like, the whole ride there. I'm like, just stay positive today, Lauren. You got this. Like, be the light. And then I'd walk in there and be like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't hold it. It was like something even like I'd gone there not too long ago to drop off some stuff. Some of my friends still work there. They'd ordered some Christmas stuff from me last Christmas. And I walked into the institution and just the smell. I was like, "Mm, I gotta go. I gotta go. Like I could smell it. I could just, I gotta go. I can feel myself. You could smell the bitterness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy I left that career. I, I know people that are just like, I can never pull the pin. I could never walk away. I could never. Um, and I'm like, you, you can, I promise you, there is so much. You've gained so much from being here and those skills will take you really far in life. But well, it makes you and it breaks you. Um, it totally so uh, it, as I've said so many times about the infantry, it gives you so much and it takes so much. So you, what it what it takes from you, you've got to learn to find a way to get it back at least yes. t- to, to, to some degree. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I struggled with um, a lot of those things. And I, uh, after I had cancer, they made me attend this like seminar. <laughs> I'm like, come on. And I was the youngest person in the, the seminar. And it was talking about like, eating healthy after cancer, like all this stuff, which I knew, um, but they wanted me to attend as a mental health thing. And one of the things that they said in that seminar that resonated with me so greatly was you have to find a new normal. And we say that right now because of COVID and we say that like blah, blah, blah. But I was trying so hard to get back to who I was. Yeah. And I you was, can't. that was like, my goal, just like I gained 30 pounds. I like all of these things had happened to me. And I'm like, I, all I wanted to do so bad was be who I was before. And that's the hardest part. (laughs) That's like, if you just let go of that, find a way, um, whether by journaling or writing a letter or whatever it is for you, it was like, the things that you have been through have changed you. They've changed your brain. They've changed the way that things happen. They've changed your physiology. Like you have to give yourself a lot of grace. You have been through a lot of shit in the last little while. Let's find out who you are now. And that was so much easier than trying to get back to who I was. And I actually like this person more because I, I paid attention to it and I, I gave to it and I gave her grace and I loved her no matter what. Like that was the hardest part. The path to wisdom is a painful one. And and there's, there's no way to have wisdom without walking a painful path. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Yep. It doesn't. You're right. And that's tough. Yeah. Being wise sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm very different, obviously, than I was when I was 22. I'm very different from having kids. And I think about all these little experiences that we think are no big deal, right? Like 
having a child, that's a big deal, right? You, big you deal. change after having your relationships change, your body changes. Like it's traumatic. If you've had a child, it's, it's, it's trauma most of the time, right? Like my son didn't, I did 41 hours with my first son and then I had a C-section and uh, that was traumatic. And I was just mm-hmm. like, Oh, well, people do it all the time. But as I started like saying like, okay, I, and I remember like, I had a C-section with him and at four weeks I'm on the treadmill trying to get back to my 122 pounds. Like give yourself a shake. <laughs> like, this is not important. I had my, I had my priorities very mixed up. And that's one of the things that I do um, as part of the coaching thing is like, what are your values? What are your priorities? And where are we spending our time? Cause a lot of times we don't know what our values are. We don't know what our priorities are. And when we sit down and pay attention to them, it's like, Oh I'm so worried about, you know, losing five pounds that I'm not even hanging out with my kids, right? Like, of course, health is a priority, but my, what I was doing wasn't healthy. It wasn't helping anybody, right? So we're always yeah. on a mission, whether we're aware of it or not. The trick is to be on the right mission and yes. to be aware of the mission that you are on um, unconsciously. Because mm-hmm. we're always on a mission, but what is it? Yes. And I've, and this is, yeah, I had this conversation with a lady the other day because she was talking about wearing masks. So cameras, we just got mask bylaw, uh, yeah. not that long ago. Very, she's very upset about the mask bylaw. She's very like, um, and we were talking mostly about like purpose. And I had said to her, I said, here's the thing. And she was kind of mad that I wasn't more mad about the whole mask bylaw. <laughs> and I just said, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I know what my purpose in life is. And I think that's why I'm not allowing all of this shit to come in and bother me because I'm, I know what my purpose is. I know where I'm going and my purpose is not to take down the government. So if that's your purpose, that's okay. But I don't think it is. <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. But she's a business owner in town and was like, going around yelling at people and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So when you I, I think when you have purpose, you, you, you're here. You're like, and what you're going to find Lauren is um, when you are a mover and shaker like yourself, other people are going to try to recruit you to their cause. Right. And uh, it's like, cause they're going to see you as well. Geez, you're moving and shaking. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be a sycophant and and glom onto you. And it's hard to say no. I had to say no. And somebody was very, very upset about that last week. Because, mm. uh, dude, this is my mission and this is my vision. And yeah. that is so powerful. And if you don't have a mission and vision for your podcast, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you offline about how to do that. Yes. But it's it's my guiding light. It's it's the true north. I'm on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world that, where the path to recovery is clear. If you don't fit in that mission and, and vision, well, then you're not a guest. And that's yeah. it. And that's fair. And it's fair. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But if you yeah. don't if you don't have that compass, you will be all over the fucking place. Yeah. Yeah. And the boundaries, right? Like, Mm-hmm. You have to be like, no, you're here and this is where the line is and you're not here. And th- that's okay. I've learned that so many times. Like I'm, and I'm getting better at not saying sorry. It's very Canadian. Like I was, <laughs> uh, I was messaging a girl back the other day on Instagram cause she had asked me to present something and she had actually asked me to present it today and she hadn't got back to me. So when you asked me to do this, she messaged me like a half an hour later and I said, no, actually I'm, I'm busy. 
on Friday. And she was like, oh, we had a date. And I said, no, actually, I had asked you to get back to me. I said, I'm, I'm, I have something else going on. And in one of the text messages before I sent it, I had said, sorry. And I'm really good now at like, I'm not sorry. That's not, that's not on me. Right. I'm not going to carry that. We were texting and I said, okay, let me know. I can do it Friday morning. And you never let me know. So I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not going to carry that around with me. So yeah, there is uh, but at, when you work in corrections too, you really have to have good boundaries or you are, manipulated or taken advantage of or right so well you're in a boundary queen <laughs> especially in corrections you're uh, you're, in, in you're, corrections. you're you're in a building full of manipulative narcissists yes so right uh, so you have to have a boundary or sure you um you end up in some pretty shitty situation and my boundary cool. is at the 48 minute mark where we're gonna yeah. wrap her up you bet. Sounds good. We're about a 48 minute marker too for our podcast. Oh, That's interesting. Well, no, it just happens to be where we're at, but, um, oh, and right. I, I got to do, do I got to do all the publishing and stuff, but, uh, Lauren, Hope Cleveland, mover and shaker. I love and, it. And former voluntary prisoner. Right. Yes. <laughs> Lauren, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show today. And, thank uh, you. and thank you for all the moving and shaking that you are doing the work that you're doing, Lauren, matters, and uh, the the foundations that uh, that you're running, your podcast, your voice really does matter, and you are helping people more than you're probably aware. Uh, and after eighty some odd episodes, I'm I'm starting to to get how important it is to do what we're doing. So, thank you so much for being on my show. No, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. Roger that. We'll stay on the line. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.